I'm Corey Lanou, and this is Go Time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. This is episode two, and uh, with us on the show today, we have Brian. Say hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. <laughs> we also have uh, Carlicia on the call. Hello, everybody. And we have a special guest today, Corey Lanou, uh, who is a developer for InfluxDB and also uh, highly active in the open source community and runs, I don't even know how many uh, open source meetups anymore. Uh, Corey, why don't you tell everybody hello? Hey, hey, how's it going? So you want to give everybody maybe a, a short uh, high level background on yourself and then we'll kick this show off? Uh, sure. Yeah, I work at uh, Influx Data, working on the core team for InfluxDB. Uh, so that's what I do during the day. Uh, I spend a lot of time uh, with the community, as many of you know. And so as far as the amount of meetups I run, um, slowly removing myself from the Denver meetup, which is great. But I have a Chicago meetup that I am helping out with and a Minneapolis meetup that I'm helping out with. And then obviously we do some stuff for GopherCon with kickoff party on uh, some training and those kind of things. I'm also doing a lot of uh, Go training uh, with Bill Kennedy for the Ultimate Go series as well. So between all those, that keeps me pretty busy. Yeah, that's uh, beyond busy. That's all? <laughs> what do you do <laughs> on the weekends? <laughs> well, no, I, I live on a 320-acre uh, 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 estate up here with my, uh, my family, and uh, my wife has horses. So that means any free time whatsoever that I have, I'm out fixing fence or chasing horses and all that kind of good stuff. So where's the time for the fireworks? Uh, luckily, that's seasonal, right? And that pretty much just dictates every single waking moment of my day once that season starts seasonal there's always time for fireworks <laughs> i wish everybody believed that have you have you written anything to uh to launch your fireworks and go yet no i i would really like to i think all the firing systems out there are really expensive and don't work so great and uh, i don't think it'd be that hard to use like a uh a arm device to go ahead and start doing that kind of stuff so i might have to look into that i'm in i'll help an <laughs> Arduino and, and a little bit of power, I think you're good. Yeah, as long as it can ignite the uh, the match, we're good. Yeah. All right. So uh, typically, the way the way we do this show is uh, we'll start out with some uh, news. We'll kind of roundtable it and see what everybody has that, that might be interesting to to talk about, and we'll chat about that, and then we'll kind of move into Brian's fun projects that he discovers on GitHub because he downloads all Go projects every night into his brain. <laughs> and then we'll kind of move into talking to you a bit more, Corey, about your uh, community efforts and open source contributions and, uh, you know, any advice you have for people aspiring to get into either of those things. With that said, uh, Brian, you got any uh, interesting news for us? Well, I think the biggest news recently is the Go 1.6.2 update, although it's, it's a tiny little update from what I can tell. Uh, the only thing that really caught my eye in there is the net HTTP client getting HTTP2 by default. Uh, that's big. And I know a lot of people were really looking forward to that. The rest of the fixes in there seem to be mostly little compiler bug sort of things. Yeah, it seemed that way to me too, that, uh, that the main thing that people would be most interested in is the fact that HTTP2 is defaulted now, which I believe was a mistake. It was meant to be default first. 
I think that's correct. I think this fixes that. One thing that I'm particularly interested interested in uh, chatting about is um, GopherCon or GopherCon, Gopher China uh, just completed. What was it? Two days ago? A day ago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So uh, the Gopher China stuff. Uh, there seemed like there was some interesting talks there, but one particularly caught my eye, which was Dave Cheney's talk on performance. And I happened to see the slides for that. Uh, the videos obviously aren't released yet, but the slides look good. There's a lot of stuff that uh, I, I really agree with. I think he has a lot of advice for how to profile in benchmarks apps, but also how to approach benchmarking. And uh, I just kind of wanted to chat about that for a second to get everybody's opinion. When you develop code, what, what's kind of your approach for performance? Do you think about performance from the beginning? Do you never think about performance? Do you think about performance when specific bottlenecks come up? For me, I never think about it from the beginning. It's usually when the bottleneck happens, then, yeah, let's take a look and see what we can do here. I think it is not the ideal. I think a middle ground should be uh, uh, reached. There, I think we sh you should think about it a little bit as you develop things, so you don't find yourself against the wall some someplace down the line. It's it's rough. I, I think we want to beat ourselves up when we don't have time to benchmark. But at the end of the day, we're we're also expected to deliver products, right? So if performance isn't an issue for the product at the moment, can we justify the time? to do it. So as much as we would like to make everything as performant as humanly possible, if, if a particular application, say, is an internal application that's not going to be used by anybody, what's the value in making it twice as fast? Yeah, for, for me, I find that I don't optimize uh, right away or think about performance when I write the code for two reasons. One, because I don't typically have the time. And two, because I'm almost certainly wrong every single time when I do get the time to actually profile it. Yeah, isn't that really what Dave said in, in his slides? You know, if your performance is good, stop. Don't optimize it. Only, only optimize when there's a problem. You know, for me, coming from languages that have been much slower than Go, I, I almost never profile anything unless I find a specific problem. I'm already 30 times faster than it was in Ruby or Python or whatever. You know, how much faster do you need? I'm just not a greedy person. I think I tend to look at my code, just kind of quick eyeing it, if I can remove an allocation or things along that line that are, are really obvious at the time, I know that a slice is going to grow beyond some amount. I'll, I'll set, it, set it from the beginning, at least a, a base level to, to prevent the copying every time it needs to grow. But aside from that, I'll do some baseline benchmarks just so that I have something to compare to later to make sure that uh, given algorithms aren't getting slower and things of that nature, but usually it's some performance problem after the fact, end-to-end -end testing, things like that that start narrowing down hotspot areas that need to be addressed. My recollection, too, is that any time or most of the time that I did have performance issues, they were related to database queries. I don't even think of a time when I had to go back and rewrite some logic because of performance issues. But database, database queries, definitely, that's usually where I find problems. Yeah, queries. And interestingly, I think some of the issues that I've found, too, are bugs with 
coroutines kind of growing unbounded where they don't properly close out and memory continues to grow because of it. We've had a few of those over the years. We've definitely seen that uh, several times on the Influx core. Uh, we've gotten bug reports and it's almost always been uh, one of those things where we get a bug report and we look and, oh, there's a go routine that was just unbounded. We never thought about actually shutting it down. It should have been one of them. Interestingly enough, that was just caught was uh, an HTTP handler would launch a go routine and we would close the go routine if somebody canceled the actual request, but not if the request finished. So that was kind of crazy. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, the penalty for success. <laughs> Absolutely. So in your in your years of experience in Go, have you ever found a problem with HTTP routers? I'm curious as to why there is such a, a preponderance of evidence on, on HTTP router benchmarks in Go. Why do people care how many nanoseconds it takes to, to compute that path? I've got to put it down to bragging rights. That's the only thing I can think of. I think it's insanity. That nanosecond <laughs> counts, man. <laughs> it's, it's, I think like, developers are by default an optimistic bunch. We always like to think, well, we're going to get so many hits on this endpoint, or I just need to prepare for that. I know it's going to happen. I, I don't think it's just developers. I think it's humans, right? It's that guy in traffic who has to pass you. So he's one car length closer to wherever he's going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the same micro optimization, right? You look at it and you're like, oh, it's one car length. All right. So uh, interesting Go projects. Brian, you, you kind of do your nightly download of Go projects. I have no clue how you have time for that. But <laughs> every day he's sending me, I don't even know how many. I can't even come up with the curated list that he's uh, sent me. So how he, how he curates it is beyond me. But do you have any uh, interesting projects to talk about? So let's see, interesting projects this week. I think one of the most interesting that's been surfacing quite a bit for me is the Go Micro framework, uh, micro.mu on the web. I uh, really like the, the direction that's going. I like the idea that um, the whole framework is built with the idea that microservices aren't built in a vacuum. It, and all of the important tools are, are built into the platform and then pluggable for your specific choices. So it's got uh, opinions on service discovery and the options to plug into uh, different service discovery providers, for example. So I think that's a platform that's, that's going somewhere quickly. Now, how does that contrast to GoKit? The way I see GoKit is um, GoKit being a lot of packages that are useful on their own and useful together for the microservices world. I think micro is probably less useful as individual packages and more powerful as a, as a group of packages. I could be wrong about that, but that's, that's kind of the way I see it. I don't see using many of the components of micro on their own standalone. Whereas with GoKit, it's really easy to just pick out one or two pieces of GoKit that are strong and that you might need in a particular project and use them standalone. Yeah, I had briefly looked at micro, but I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. So kind of along those lines, uh, microservices in general, uh, Corey, are you guys using microservices at Influx or do you typically keep more monolithic applications? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So we, we try to keep monolithic repos. <laughs> I guess that's one way to say it. 
Um, and then we do definitely do the microservices that we have a lot of different uh, services that handle um, like the meta side of, of the data, uh, the TSM engines. Um, so everything does run pretty, pretty much from a microservice standpoint makes it really easy for testing as you can imagine you know we do we bind everything um loosely couple via interfaces so testing everything is is a is a dream what do you use for communication between those services Are you using rpc or is this just standard http uh and json or we use a combination of things uh protobuf has actually been kind of our go-to uh lately and that's been working really really well um it's a little bit extra work from a coding standpoint. It's kind of a little extra dance that you have to do every time to to add all the types to the the protobuf definitions and then compile it to go uh, via Go Generate. Um, but it's it's really fast um, and it's all basically native Go code at the end of the day when you're done working with it. Uh, JSON is just, I mean, it might as well be XML at that point with the speed that we have to work <laughs> at. So we we just we just don't use JSON for anything unless it's really really tiny. Are you using gRPC or are you using protobuf separately? Uh, I actually don't know. Um, I'd have to look. I, I didn't implement the protobuf stuff. I just get to use it all day long. So I don't know what they ended up um, on that side of the world. I could look though and find out. There there's, tends to be the argument, right? Like microservices has become like a buzzword too, right? Where everybody wants to, to jump on it. And there's been kind of some debate there. So it's always interesting to hear how many people are taking the microservices approach and, you know, what's the delineation where where do you divide services and things like that? So I always, I always like to hear people's opinions on kind of how they, they've split things up. I think the important part is to understand that you're going to get it wrong the first time and probably the second time and maybe even the third time. Uh, but eventually you'll get it right. It's, it's, very, it's not as simple. People say, oh, microservices, and this is just going to solve all your problems. Um, but it's still you know, quite a complicated ecosystem when it comes down to it. And uh, it, it takes a while to really sort it out, how everything's going to come together. Yeah, there's a lot of cognitive load there, right? Which services get touched, and then you get into distributed tracing because now how do you how do you follow a, a given request and find errors that happened with it? And if it reaches out to fifteen services, the responses from each of those services have meaning in the debugging of of that request, and it's it's always a trade off, right? It's kind of like performance. Most of the time, if you're optimizing the code for performance, you're you're taking away readability. It's always hard to decide where where to make those decisions. And I think you get a lot of arguments about it, too, based on who you ask. And going back to the GoKits and uh, microservices framework in general, isn't it GoKit and maybe a micro, this micro frame framework may also have a middleware, a middleware that has logging, uh, handling across services? Isn't that correct? Yeah, GoKit has a uh, dapper Zipkin-like layer that allows you to trace your calls, requests across the different layers of your services. All that stuff is very important. I hear people saying, well, if you have a, if you have a convoluted logic in a monolithic, you're breaking it up into services is not going to help you help your logic be better. But I challenge that. I think it will force you to 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 think about how you would divide things up. And you might not even get it right the first time, but it will force you in that direction because you have to. And, but it's super important, like you guys are saying, to have the tools that will help, that you allow you to manage your error handling and all of the, the glue that needs to come together with microservices. 
Well, I think that um, splitting up into microservices also is a form of premature optimization, right? There's penalties, there's network latency between things. There's more places where things can fail between the communication of things. And the network is weird, right? Like I can't tell you how many times we've debugged RPC type issues where um, just the data that came through, you get packets in reverse order and things like that. And you have to fix something that gets locked up because of it. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tools that you can use nowadays that are a lot more solidified for doing these types of things, but there's still risk in everything like that and kind of having things bundled together. Um, if you don't really have a need to pull it out. I think there's a lot of validity, validity. I can't even talk. There's a lot of validity to the idea that microservices are just as much of a social and structural concept as they are a coding concept and structuring your microservices around the teams might be more important than structuring them around specific code barriers that might be artificial. Definitely. All right. So I think we chatted about microservices quite a bit here. Do we have uh, any interest, other interesting projects? I think, Carlicia, you were talking about a new doc tool that you were excited about, right? Yeah, this is reminiscent of my uh, editor hacking that happened a couple of weeks ago. I found out about this new tool. I think it's new. It's, it only works with Go 1.6. It's called GetDoc. It's a CLI tool which is not super exciting. I don't want to be reading tons of documentation. I mean, it's just out of context for me if I'm working on my editor. But the neat thing about it is that it integ it's integrated into Atom and Vim Go. And I think they are also integrated into Emacs for people who use that. Uh, basically, it allows you to just hop over to Word and press a combination of key that you can control via key, your key, key binding and the documentation will pop up for things like package in the import list, a constant, it will give you the value of a constant, uh, method calls and struct fields. So the documentation just pops up like right there and you press, press escape and it goes away. I thought it was super cool. Oh, that is cool. All right. We have any other uh, interesting projects we want to talk about before we move on to discussing all things open source and community with uh, Corey here? I could give you 30 more, but I think we covered it all in Go Micro. So why don't we move on? All right, then. Corey, you get, you get a chance to talk here. <laughs> I, I, I hope you like talking. I've been known to talk. So uh, I think all of us have happened to see your talk from uh, GopherCon India in February. Right. Yeah. February. It was an amazing talk. It was uh, so passionate. I loved it. Yeah. So and there's a couple of things I kind of want to talk to you about there. But first, I have to ask you about the camels. Like, seriously, I'm jealous. You got the right camels. <laughs> it, it was. It was great. Uh, Mark Bates, uh, who's one of my coworkers, uh, he happened to be going to uh, GopherCon India and actually he joined the team. We didn't even know like we were both going. So that was pretty cool. So we were kind of running around the whole time out there. Uh, and the camels are, are literally in the middle of the desert. They take you about 30 minutes out into the desert and you basically get on and you do about a 20 foot circle and then you get back off, but you get your picture. So that's important. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of like the uh, uh, Central Park tour in the carriage, right? They just kind of you, you pay your 50 bucks and they take you around the block. 
Yeah. But what's interesting, if you've never ridden a camel, uh, getting up and getting down is uh, is pretty crazy. Uh, they basically they get up pretty easy and you have to hang on. But when they get down, they basically just drop completely down to their knees. And when they drop, they drop hard. So if you're not hanging on, you're going to literally fly over the camel. <laughs> uh, I've ridden a dromedary before, but not a camel. And there is a difference. One has two humps and the other one has one. And uh, the dromedaries are more common than camels. I don't think you'll find a lot of camels outside of the, of the Middle East or Saharan deserts. You learn something every day on go time. Right. <laughs> That's right. right. I'm definitely not an animal expert. So, <laughs> so in, in your talk, um, one of the things that actually caught my, I, I can't remember whether it was the talk or your interview, but one of the things that caught my attention was that you had said that you had been developing for 17 years and it had only been four years that you've really done open source work. And I kind of wanted correct. to get your, your take on that because I think that's a big step for a lot of people, right? There's always that fear of putting your code in the open. I've been doing open source development for I don't even know how many years now, and I still struggle with putting my code out in the open. Yeah, it's pretty scary at first, and, and I even wrote a blog post on it um, that we can link at some point. But uh, basically, open source code is really scary when you put it out there. And my first experience was I had a bug that I couldn't figure out what was going on. And of course, I look it up uh, and it's an issue with the Go language and it was closed. Of course, it was closed by Dave Cheney. So me knowing Dave Cheney, I reached out and said, hey, Dave, you know, I understand you closed this bug. I'm running into it. I really don't know what the solution is. Can you help me out? And he's like, well, can you give me some context? So, of course, I give him the link to the pull request that I've got on InfluxDB. Now, I've only been at InfluxDB for maybe two or three weeks at this point. And it's my first experience in open source. And of course, in good open source fashion, Dave just begins to review the entire PR, not the issue that I'm actually looking at. So it's kind of like a rock star asking you to sing like their biggest song in front of them. Uh, it was it was very nerve wracking. I was very scared, um, but it was great. Uh, it was a real learning experience. And then you find out very quickly that nobody really cares uh, if you're a rock star programmer or not. Um, everybody's just trying to get your code out there and you're going to do really dumb things. And people are going to call you really dumb things sometimes because it's open source. Uh, but you just learn from it. Everything's, you know, take a positive note from everything you learn in open source when everybody gives you feedback. So it's interesting you make that analogy, right? Because you think about it like karaoke too, right? Just get out there and sing. It's fun no matter what, right? Exactly. Exactly. Have a good time. And it's okay. You're going to screw up. And, and believe me, you are going to do some really dumb things and you're going to get bugs logged and you're going to look and you're like, wow, that was really stupid. I cannot believe I did that. Um, you know, like break the cluster and release it. And nobody knows that you actually don't have consensus anymore. I mean, I've never done that. <laughs> Neither have <See>, I. <laughs> right. Right. I, yeah. I've, I've never committed a stupid bug that uh, brought down any systems because of something <laughs> dumb. Never. Totally nope, right. Never had to refer a PR. <laughs> never. If there's a giant rollback button on my desk. You know, everybody else has the easy button. I've got the rollback button. I think uh, GitHub now has a feature for you to roll back easily. I don't think they had it before. You had to roll back things manually, which is what I would do anyway. But Well, with Git, there's the Git revert, which allows you to create a commit that basically inverts your whatever commit that you're trying to revert. But I think GitHub put a button there that does that automatically, if I'm not mistaken. I'm more of a command line junkie, but yeah, I can see how the, yeah. the just being able to go to the, the website and yeah. click the button becomes super, super useful. Yeah. 
I don't, as far as Git goes, I don't trust any any UI tool. I want to do it. I want to see it on the command line. If it didn't happen there, <laughs> I don't know if it happened. So I want to see it. Git for me is a Swiss army knife that has all these buttons on it. And when you press it, I stab myself every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I tell people all the time is, if you learn to use the the ref log, the reference log, you, yes. you feel much safer with Git. Because you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. If I committed it, I can totally fix it. But you said the magic words, if you committed it. If you right. don't, it doesn't really matter. But it is amazing how many people don't even know that that exists. And it's a life-changing thing. Yeah, if you have so. not played with the ref log, you should. Git's really simple for me. You just delete the directory and clone again. No, don't do that. <laughs> That's all you need to do. RM-RF, my repo, git clone, my repo. Fixed. We will edit that, we will edit that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do not take Brian's advice there. Not this one, people. So back kind of to the uh, open source contributions, too. I, I wanted to kind of point out another fact, too, is I, I think that people not only should contribute, but go in and dig around the code, because I think people will find that the, their vision of the code for any, you know, big name project is far from the reality that they're going to start digging around and they're going to find their own warts. Regardless of their skill level, they're going to find code that they even think is bad. And I think at the end of the day, kind of how we talked about earlier in the episode is sometimes it comes down to delivering. You, you have to fix a bug and you may not have time to implement the best solution. And especially to your point, Corey. There's, there's a limited number of people working on the project sometimes too, right? So in, in, in your talk, you kind of advocate that, like help wherever you can. And maybe you don't have the best solution for a problem, but it's a problem that's getting solved that maybe won't get solved because the core members of the team just don't have time to work on it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Help Wanted. Uh, I just started a repo the other day. Uh, on Go open source projects that have uh, the actual issues labeled with help wanted. And so you can go in and find these issues and very quickly and figure out where they need help. And the more important thing for me on that one wasn't because I wanted to help all these open source projects. That actually wasn't my intention. It was because people are always asking me, how can I get started in Go? And I'm like, well, there's all these projects out there that need help wanted. Like, we just need to get a list of them going. And so I think that that's a really cool thing to see out there now and hoping that people will start spreading the word on that and getting that out. But I think that's great. Yeah, I saw you started putting together a repo. Was that it? I forgot. Yes, we'll it was a repo. We'll include a link to that on the show notes for sure. So tell us more about that. Um, yeah, I mean, basically it spawned off of uh, <laughs> a meetup that I was doing in Chicago and I couldn't make it down there and the host... Uh, we kind of just uh, we were we missed a month and we had to get back on track and we didn't have time to really get speakers lined up. And so it was like a week before we were going to have it. And he was kind of a little nervous and he was like, hey, we don't have any speakers. I'm like, well, OK, we should have a hack night. But, you know, just having a general hack night, it doesn't really give you much direction. And so I thought, well, there's a lot of projects out there that need help wanted. And there's going to be a lot of Go people there. And there's going to be some people new to Go. Let's just get a list of things to pick and choose from. And that's kind of where this idea came from. And it really goes hand in hand with a lot of the community stuff I go where I'm doing the intro to Go and stuff like that. And people really want to know how how can I contribute? Because, you know, the Hello World programs, taking the tour, these are all fine and dandy. But I'm not learning anything. I don't know how to solve a real world problem. I don't know what a code base is really going to look like and how I should do it. And contributing to these open source projects, even on the really small help wanted, really start to give you a sense as a beginner and go like, oh, this is how a bigger project is going to be organized. This is how a bigger project is going to expect me to contribute 
Uh, and you should learn things beyond even just go at that point. You'll learn just the process of like doing the the pull requests and doing a, a a review process and and that kind of stuff. So it's it's just a great experience. I think it's actually a really good idea because when you're when you're forced to solve a problem, you have to dig around and you have to learn the code base, which means you have to understand more Go too, right? So and then on top of that, when you submit your pull request, you have other people reviewing your new Go code. So you can have people help shape you because one of the things that I find with Go is picking up the language is the easy part. Learning to write idiomatic Go is a totally different story. So if you're submitting pull requests, then you have people automatically looking at those things. And I think that it it should be said too that skill level doesn't matter, right? Just getting in there, and even if your patch doesn't get accepted, you're going to learn a lot along the way. Now, let me throw something at you guys, because you've been doing Go forever, all of you, and I'm a newcomer, totally. So I would go to InfluxDB, source code, download it to my computer, and uh, actually kudos to all of you, because I was able to install it, get it running on my machine, just reading the documentation for such a big project. I thought that was amazing. I was very impressed. But anyway, so I would go around and read the code and not understand it. I mean, I've been programming for a while and it would just kill me that, okay, I don't know what this is doing. And then I'll go to, okay, let me go to a simpler code base. And so I'll go to simpler code base and still not really get it. And and maybe I'm just dumb. But after a while, I did get it, after I I actually started coding. Um, But my point is, a lot of times you say, just read the code and you understand it. And I was reading the code and I was not understanding. And I was was looking up issues that had the label beginner. And uh, I was not understanding it. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe this is hard. Why am I not just immediately getting it? Because when you say, read the code and you're going to get it, my impression is I need to get it immediately. If not... Either I'm dumb or this code is hard. It's not as easy as people are saying. So I think think that some people will be more natural at figuring it out. And I think it's just more a matter of domain knowledge, right? So you have understanding something from a technical perspective, then you also have the understanding of domain knowledge. If if you know very little about, say, InfluxDB, it's going to be a lot harder to follow the code because you're trying to pick up the code and the organization of it, the language, as well as the domain knowledge of the system as a whole, all at one time. So I think it's not worth beating yourself up over that it, it's not quick to discover. And I think I've, I've attacked some, some beginner Go tasks that didn't turn out to be so beginner and I, I abandoned as well. I don't think there's ever been a time that I've gone into source code uh, like, you know, the Go Raft library, right? Like, that's a pretty sophisticated piece of code that HashiCorp wrote. Uh, and I first time I went in there, I'm like, oh, it's written in Go. I should be able to understand this. And I pretty much got in there like, wow, maybe I don't know anything about Go at all. Uh, so this is a common <laughs> thing. So I think we definitely should caveat when we tell people, hey, go read the source code. It's out there and you'll understand it. It is is definitely about the domain knowledge. It just takes a little while. Sure, I understand all the syntax. That makes sense to me, but I understand what it does. And that's just a matter of spending time in there. And what I typically try to do is I stopped going to the source code first. I started going to the Go docs first 
because that gives me the the kind of the overview of the API that that library is going to have. And that starts to give me a sense of how it's going to be stitched together. And then from there, once I read the code, it tends to make more sense. But again, that's gaining that domain knowledge, but you get it really fast from the Go docs, but you don't get that very fast when you're reading the code. Become buddies with a project member too. Get them all Definitely. excited. Buy them a beer. They talk to me. Paint them on Slack all the time, all day long. I get a ton of people that reach out to me on Slack for influx randomly. Like I have no idea who these people are. And they're like, hey, I'm working on this bug for you. Like, can you help me? Like, sure. What do you need? Speaking of which, which uh, there is a reviews channel on, on Gopher Slack, which I just discovered recently. I don't know if all of you are aware. I wonder, I mean, there is a lot of uh, action in there. I no, wonder I if it's... It's, people it's a very busy channel. Make good use. Yeah, I wonder if people make good use of it, if it, people get good feedback. So I'm, uh, I started keeping track of it. So this is just a channel somebody opened up for people to post pull requests and things and just get uh, anybody who has, has some spare cycles to review for them? Yeah, not even necessarily pull requests, just any code. Just review this code. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even seen that yet. Well, go for Slack, full of surprises. <laughs> so, so Corey, you said you have a whole bunch of free time still, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Review all the things. <laughs> I'll, I'll start doing that at midnight every night. Okay. We'll, we'll <laughs> expect you to we'll expect to see you in the reviews channel shortly. I just joined. <laughs> Fixing all the code. No, actually, it, it's a great channel, and I've I've spent quite a bit of time in there because I always want to make sure I'm doing things the right way. So it's it's a good place to be. And for anybody who's not uh, not aware, we're referring to the Gophers Slack, which is gophers.slack.com. There's a uh, Heroku app for doing the invite we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, So that's what we're referring to. I think we assume because there's like 6,000 people in there that everybody knows about the Slack channel, but that's probably a flawed assumption. So it's interesting you make the the comment about assuming it's something I've been doing in most of the cities I'm in is I maintain a document specific to the city, which provides all of the online resources like Slack and GoForms and all that kind of stuff. And it also provides information on everything local, all your local meetups, all your local jobs that are being posted for Go, uh, basically anything local to that demographic. And because I find all the time, even at the meetup, I'll be at a, a Chicago meetup and they'll be like, oh, there's a Slack for you know, Chicago go. And I'm like, yeah, there's a big Slack and there's a big Chicago technology Slack and, and all these things. So I, I don't assume anymore that anybody knows everything exists. So I, keeping that document, I, I found for the meetups helps a lot. Brian and I, after it was what, a month after uh, GopherCon 2015, it was basically a big name company uh, emailed us about the conference and wanting to sponsor. And we're like, it's over. Like they, they didn't even know we, we had made the assumption that everybody kind of in the go world knew about the conference. And yeah, it's, we feel connected, but you know, the, the world is much bigger than we see. Yeah. How could you not know about the conference? It's all we talked about on Twitter. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All you had to do was follow one of us on Twitter. Right. Everybody doesn't do that and happen to be online, you know, (laughs) when when we're tweeting. Exactly. So kind of speaking of the community efforts and your talk, Corey, that was kind of the primary focus of your talk was community and getting people engaged and uh, advocating that people help where they can and that they don't need to be an expert. And, you know, 
And we'd love to chat with you a bit about that as well. Can I interrupt, Eric? I'd like to point out that Corey walks the walk when it comes to helping out where you can. When we decided that we were going to do GopherCon, uh, you know, he didn't ask to contribute pull requests. He asked if he could host things for us. He asked if it would be okay if we shipped all of our gophers there early. You know, a lot of, of community building isn't just software, even if it's a software community, it's, it's about organizing those meetups, getting pizza, finding a place to hold the, the meetup. It's about, you know, helping the conference organizers do the things, you know, organizing the pre-party, getting together uh, a group of people to help stuff the bags before the show. I mean, there's, there's so much that you can do as a person to volunteer for an event or help a project that isn't really writing code. You can write documentation. You can help spread the word about an interesting project. And, and Corey, in my mind, you know, got to be one of the top guys on the whole internet in terms of walking the walk in, in helping out projects and communities like that. Well, I'm not even sure what to say to that. <laughs> uh, for me, it was just, it was a privilege. I mean, that's really what it was for me. I look at all that kind of stuff. Anytime you can help out, I think that's a privilege. And so I was, it was my honor to do it. And it was super exciting to see an event like that come off and, you know, it takes a ton of effort. And so being part of that was magical. And I was, you know, again, definitely a privilege. So how would you recommend people get involved? So what I always tell people, and, and again, I, I covered this, I hope really heavily in my presentation uh, in India and Dubai is well, a lot of people think of one, they want to get involved in a local community. Uh, the big problem is there's not a local community for a lot of areas yet. Go is still kind of an up and coming language. And in one of the charts I show, we're, we're about an eighth of the size of like the Java or the Rails community in terms of meetups, right? Worldwide. So what we really need is we need, we need more meetups. That's really what we need. And Everybody always immediately thinks, oh, we need an organizer. That's what we need. Okay, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. We need the organizer. But really, as importantly as the organizers, is we need that host. We need that sponsor, right? And so that's really, really important to get those people to step up because typically, if you can find somebody to host it, then you can find somebody to sponsor it, then you can find somebody to organize it. And it's all these pieces that come together. And I want to stress one really important thing here. You don't have to be responsible when you form a meetup for all of those. That's not your job. Your job is to find people to help you. It's a community, right? So make sure you enlist all the help you can as soon as you can. Get help. People want to help you. And if they just think they're doing one piece, they do it. But if you, if you put all that onus on one person, if they think that they've got to be the organizer, find the sponsor, find the host, uh, it's very daunting. And so that, I think that's why a lot of people don't get involved right away. So interesting that you point that out. Just kind of as an example, we started Go Tampa because we didn't have a local meetup group. And we put together, it was either one or two, and then we got slammed because just like you, Corey, we, we love to put more on our plate than we can handle. So uh, we hadn't really been doing meetups anymore, but by that time, there was some interest locally. So Aaron Greenley, who's here locally in the market, kind of just took that on. And now, I mean, he's the reason there's a Go Tampa now because he organizes all the meetups, he finds the locations and stuff. So sometimes just being the person to start the action, it kind of grows on its own. Reaching out for help is, um, is very important. And I put, it, put out a challenge for, to everybody. If you are interested or have this, this thought, just reach out and ask for help if that's what's keeping you. Because Corey, for sure, he has a ton of time. He'll help you. 
And uh, I'll help. I'll help. We'll definitely <laughs> what help. I can. And I wanted to cite an example. Um, I started the Gopher San Diego meetup in the North County of San Diego. And there was one in downtown. And what happened uh, just organically was that we came together as a group. And I started, my company uh, is supportive. So I get that support. So we came together as a group and we help each other out. So they were doing it every month. And when I came in and started doing mine, and we, we, I had a couple, they were like, hey, what do you think of you do hosted one month and we hosted the next month? So that took a lot of the pressure because I think they were feeling, okay, this has been too much for us. So that's how we're doing it right now because uh, it's best for the group. So we are basically one group. We spread the work, we spread the meetups over two months. So I don't have to host one. I only do it every two months. So people come together and figure things out. But you, if you don't get started, you're not going to find out what kind of help you're going to get. So we've covered meetups, but we also have your battle cry from your talk, which was more blog posts. And I think that we, we have two more that we can add to that. More podcasts <laughs> and more conferences. And I think that that's somewhere too. Uh, when Brian and I spoke on the change log, which shameful plug here, they actually produced this show. So kudos to them for, for letting us get on a mic. But uh, so when we, when we spoke on there, we were advocating too for more conferences. There's, we still haven't seen a lot of regionals pop up. We've, we've seen some internationals kind of pop up and we have a couple of regionals. We've got the uh, Gotham Go. And then we have the uh, Gopher Fest in San Francisco. But aside from that, we haven't seen a lot of regionals pop up. And I'd, I'd love to see more regionals come. Well, I, for one, would love to do a Midwest conference. I would love to do something either in Chicago or Minneapolis. Uh, I've actually gotten pretty involved in Minneapolis recently. And, you know, Chicago is a great city. It's huge. And so obviously we'd be an easy host. But I got to say, Minneapolis has an amazing tech scene up there. And I'm very impressed with what's going on up there. And I would love to put together a GopherCon in Minneapolis. So anybody who wants that to happen, let me know and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, and Brian and I are happy to offer advice that we've learned along the way, too, for anybody who wants to start a conference. There's a little bit more um, risk involved there just because there tends to be some financial obligations and some big contracts and stuff. But hopefully we can share some knowledge to lessen that burden on people who are interested in, in getting those things started as well. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've probably done what four or five calls with people across the world about uh, starting a conference in their area and, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. There's nothing we love better than to uh, spread the, the go love and get more conferences going. So do ask. Absolutely. I just looked up to see if there was a conference channel and go for Slack. There is none. There is now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is there anything else that you would like to kind of uh, advocate, Corey, before we, uh, we wrap this thing? The only thing that I haven't solved yet for, for getting communities going more is it's they're, they're hard to shut up, right? It takes time to get traction. But I would love to see more of the who's who in the Go community get out beyond their demographic. And even if it's an hour away or two hours away, uh, you know, go ahead and volunteer to go to that meetup that is a little bit further out than your demographic and do a, do a talk and really help them get started. And I think if we can see more of that in the community reaching out, you know, two to four hours away from you, not even a flight, just a drive, uh, I think that would really help a lot. And I think a lot of us are in a situation where we are two to four hours away 
from another go meetup that's trying to take place and that can really help out and, and really start to get, you know, more, more of that uh, momentum going. Isn't that what they call the ground game in politics? <laughs> it might on be, doors. But, but this year I'm trying to stay out of politics. <laughs> and even if it's just for the beginning, just be the training wheel wheels for people just for a little while until they get going. Right. And then you go be the training wheel somewhere else if you can. But even if you can do it once or twice, it's great. Bill Kennedy has driven from Miami over to Tampa, I think twice now. And that's like a four hour drive. So if he can do a four hour drive twice, you can do a two hour drive. Exactly. I mean, I drive to Chicago. That's five and a half hours. I do it gladly. That's awesome. That's commitment right there, folks. So typically the way where we close out the show, we like to kind of go through, Brian kind of triggered off this free software Friday hashtag on Twitter a while back. And I think we all kind of fell in love with the idea of that. It's not always financial for people. Just hearing thank you from people who benefit from their projects is nice. So with that said, Brian, you want to kick one off? I absolutely have a big one this week. Go for JS. Uh, if anybody follows me on Twitter, you know I have this this hate hate relationship with front end development, and Gopher.js has been eye opening for me over this last week or two. I didn't realize that uh, it didn't have to be JavaScript on the front end; it could actually be something that is Go and transpiles down to JavaScript, and that's it's just really changed everything. So I'm really excited about Gopher.js, and it's it's helped me get over my big ugly fear of front end code. So you guys rock. Thank you. Go for JS team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Carlicia, how about you? I came across this neat little tool called Hexer News. It's a command line tool that you can use to access Hacker News. And I think it's really cool because, first of all, I don't ever go to Hacker News, not because I don't like it, but because I'm Every time I go, I just get lost because I go from one thing to another to another and then I find myself somewhere else. So with this too, I just type HN some bad top, for example, and I get the top news. And uh, I'm not so inclined to go chase that out. I really just want to see the headlines. And I'm loving typing HN onion. If I need a chuckle, I type that on, on the comment line and boom, never fails. It's awesome. <laughs> Do it. Try it. Trust me. <laughs> Downloading it now. Yeah, it's so awesome. And it's color. It's got a lot of color. It's color coded, and you can press a, a number and go and see that uh, particular item more in depth. It's so awesome. So I tend to stay out of the browser so that I can be productive. So you're you're bringing this unproductive thing to my command line now. <laughs> <laughs> I submit that the browser is not what's keeping, uh, uh, the content is not the problem, it's the browser, the browser that leads you, leads you down the rabbit hole, but if it's, this is just a pure content, no buttons to click, no links to follow, just the content. Does, does it ignore the comments? Yeah, exactly. I haven't gotten to see comments, I don't even know if they have comments, I, was, I suppose so, but. So, and I know we're kind of uh, blindsiding you with it, Corey, but is there any projects you would, or people that you would like to thank uh, in the open source community? For me, it's the one I use every single day and it's Vimgo. I could not live without it. So Vimgo is just, if you use Vim and you do Go, you, you have to use it. It's amazing. And some of the stuff that he's put in there lately, has just been unbelievable. So for me, it's just, I can't tell you how happy I am with the amount of work that goes into that project. Yeah, I want to send Fatih like a case of beer. 
Oh, well, like a semi-load. I mean, it's, it kind of deserves a huge it. coffee yeah. drinker, so send him coffee. And they just need a baby. So he exactly, I was going to say that. So congrats. Can we get some donations and we'll just buy him a brewery? I mean, <laughs> I think that's, that's the level he's at right now. Yeah, and yeah. don't forget, uh, all you VimGo users out there, he has a Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash F-A-T-I-H. And uh, it's a great way to thank him for his VimGo development. We include it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And for me, it's Kubernetes. I'm in love with Kubernetes. So that's what I've been playing with more recently. And anybody who has not played with Kubernetes for uh, container orchestration should. Just way too much fun. It's a game changer. Absolutely. That's a good one. And with that being said, I think that we are ready to... uh, close the doors on this episode unfortunately i wish we could talk all day but we cannot with that i'd like to thank everybody for coming on the show i want to thank everybody who is listening to the show and everybody who will listen to the show because all of you are going to refer friends to go to gotime.fm and register we will also have a uh, weekly email there that you can subscribe to Uh, if you are not already follow us on twitter at GoTime FM. If you have ideas for things you'd like for us to discuss or questions for upcoming guests, and we'll start publishing a schedule for that, you can find us on github.com, gotimefm slash ping, and we will link to all of this in our show notes. And with that said, bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.